It's time for the show that scours the globe for news that interests you. We've scoured a few other planets, too. Didn't find much. Coming to you almost live from their command center just beneath the Earth's crust. Here's Jeremy Bray and Wesley Faulkner with Global Geek News. Welcome to the Global Geek News Podcast, the show that tries to answer the question, just what the heck is going on in the media, entertainment, and technology worlds. As always, I am your host, Jeremy Bray, better known to most of you on the internet as PCNerd37, and on the other end of Skype is my co-host, Wesley Faulkner. How's it going, Wesley? Things are going great. Awesome week so far. Yeah, I would agree with that. New version of Ubuntu has come out. Yeah, it's been a good week. Yeah, no, Windows Phone 7 or Windows 7 Phone or Phone Windows 7 uh, is out today. Yeah, I gotta say, I I woke up not not realizing what the date was that they were going to announce it, that and everything today. And just the entire day, it was, my RSS reader was taken up by almost nothing but Windows Phone 7 stuff. I mean, it was it's worse than a day that there's a Steve note. Yeah. But, the all ablaze and Twitter was still Twitter was filled with with streams of bite-sized snippets of what was going on also. Yeah, I didn't pay too much attention to what was going on on Twitter mainly just my RSS reader which I just realized I've been logged out of, but I tend to subscribe to a lot of like gadget stuff like Engadget and everything. Plus sites like Ars Technica and Gizmodo and everything has just gone crazy with Windows Phone 7 stuff. Pretty much my entire Google Reader was Windows Phone 7 stuff. It's like, okay, how many different times do I need to read about the same 10 different phones? Yeah, it just means they did a really good job on their PR. Yeah, it's kind of amazing when you can actually beat Apple when it comes to PR for a phone. Yeah, well, I mean, it's really big push, especially since they, what, it was only last week that they confirmed that it would be an actual launch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm kind of surprised. I'm definitely impressed with what I've seen of it so far, and I'm supposed to be going to a Windows Phone 7 uh, Unleashed developer event in Colorado Springs on Tuesday, so tomorrow and Saturday, which, just to kind of see what the whole Windows Phone thing is about from a developer's perspective and see what kind of stuff I can play with on it. So that, that should be fun, but I I think the platform definitely has a lot of promise. It's a good 1.0 from what I've seen. Yeah, we've definitely got some Windows Phone, a couple of Windows Phone 7 stories later on in the show. Maybe not the best of stories, or at least as far as having the Windows Phone 7 in a flattering light, but, um, yeah, that's, there's definitely more to be said later on in the show. Although I do recommend for anybody who's interested to check out all the devices that were announced today. Pretty much all your gadget sites will have a whole list of them. But I think there were like 10 devices announced today 
from like Dell, HTC, Samsung. I think there was an LG in there. All these, of course, being for AT&T and T-Mobile, since anything for Verizon and Sprint and stuff won't be announced until next year. Although I I did notice that one of the big stories of the day, which is old news, is the fact that there's no copy and paste on Windows Phone 7, at least not until early next year. It's like all of a sudden this is getting all kinds of play in the blogosphere. And this is one of the things that I reported on back in Mix, back in, what was it, February or March. It's like there's no copy and paste for the initial version. There's no in-app purchases for the initial version. It's like all this stuff I've covered before, and it's like the whole blogosphere is acting like this is news now. It's like, uh, hello, this is old, like, six months ago? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, People have short memories or don't pay attention one of the two. Yeah, I think everybody just wants to get more hits I think is what the problem is yeah but well you gotta be angry at something yeah yeah posts like that tend to drive some traffic mm-hmm. but speaking of posts that drive traffic uh, point everybody to globalgeeknews.com where of course you'll find the show notes for this show and all of our other shows as well as some of the other posts that I've posted in the past week, such as post today, Apple has a trademark on the There's an App for That slogan. Uh, one that I posted over the weekend for how to... It's a commercial for Asus on how to pronounce the name. It's absolutely hilarious. you got to check that one out. And, of course, there's a post for Google killing their Goog411 directory assistance service. Tips of the week number 11, which has all kinds of wonderful tips for anything from building a solar-powered portable Wi-Fi hotspot to 85 Windows 7 tips, tricks, and secrets, um, five best IM clients for Android, um, five essential WordPress plugins for small businesses, how to turn your MacBook into a tablet for 50 bucks, how to turn an NES into a DVD player which, that's just blasphemy. I don't know why anybody would want to do that, but that's in there. And there's all kinds of other stuff for audiobooks, iPhone stuff, um, you name it, it's in there. Make sure to check that out. And there's also one other post, which I found rather interesting last week, was that apparently the Connect and the Move both need large rooms to work. Apparently there's... Uh, Somebody leaked some information from a Microsoft Xbox Connect accessory um, user manual that says you basically need six to eight foot of clear space to use it. Yeah, people in California and New York need not apply. Yeah, this basically eliminates pretty much anybody in in an apartment or that has their gaming set up like in their bedroom. Uh From what I've seen, the move doesn't seem to be that picky about it, although developers say that when they built the games, they imagine that people would be, or it works best when people are standing approximately eight feet away from the system. With the Connect, it's... Or, with the Move, you don't have to have the whole room free, because you've got the remotes or whatever. With the Move, you have to have free space, so you have to like move coffee tables and stuff out of the way. And with that, it's like six feet for single player, eight feet away for multiplayer. So, basically, if you have a small house, don't plan on bringing any friends over. 
which kind of that's like the whole point of like these moves and these connects and stuff is watching your friends look like idiots. Yeah. Maybe it's going to be like the uh the Segway. People will redesign houses around. Yeah, I don't know. That's Basically, unless I decide to change around my setup and put my good TV in the living room and all my gaming stuff in the living room, which I doubt that'll happen, basically I won't be getting the Kinect or the Move. So, oh, you can well. put it outside. Yeah. Well, I'm not a big motion gaming person anyway, and that's one of the many topics we've covered in the past. So I guess if anybody wants to know why I'm not, um, they can go back and listen to past shows. I'm not sure a specific show to point them to, but I'm sure I could find one if asked. Right. Or we can see the video of you checking it out. Yeah, which I've, I realized I'd forgotten to... I think I tweeted about that, but I never did post that on the site or anything Hopefully, if I remember, I will get that link up uh, maybe in the next day or so. I've got the card with everything sitting right here. I just have to do it. And hopefully, I'll get my uh, Duracell MyGrid review up this week as well. But anyway, go ahead and jump right into the stories. Of course, you can follow along at globalgeeknews.com. And we will start with... The U.S. intelligence agencies are angry at France over their Hadopi three strikes law because they're worried it's going to drive encryption usage. This kind of coming off of our story last week about the FBI wanting to have backdoors into all all encryption. Yeah, this one, I was reading the story, and it seemed kind of curious for a couple of reasons. One, um, why is the U.S.... Uh, trying to tell France how to govern their people is for one. And two, um, w- why is it that, um, why is it that the encryption, um, is something that they think is new? Um, that, uh, don't they know that the stronger laws will do that anyway? So I'm, I'm curious that since the law was, since that's something that's been, pushed by the RIAA, um, it seems that this might be an official stance on how the NSA feels about the laws that the RIAA were trying to push onto us. So it gives an opinion about how another country should govern themselves, but it also gives an opinion on how they feel that we should be governed here, as in they're against the laws in, in our country as well. Yeah, apparently I'm guessing it's just the whole we're the United States, so you have to do what we say kind of a thing as far as why they seem to think they should do what we want them to. But I've got a feeling in kind of what you alluded to there and something we'll talk about here kind of in a, what is it, two stories from now about ACTA that being that I have a, I have this feeling that with the whole ACTA negotiations and everything now done and many of the stuff thrown out like we're going to talk about here in a minute um, I've got a feeling that Maybe it's because of this particular case where the FBI, the CIA, whoever doesn't want all this stuff being encrypted, that that's why some of this tougher copyright legislation isn't going through. Mm. Good point. Because I I think the FBI and other three-letter agencies have a little bit more pull with the senators and stuff than whatever the RIAA and MPAA has managed to purchase. 
Yeah, and they probably have like a close to a direct line to the president and uh, the heads of uh, various committees too. Yeah, well, I I don't know. I'm kind of surprised by this whole story. It seems kind of a little on the strange side. I mean, why would if we're talking about three strikes and copyright laws, the FBI shouldn't be really concerned about this. I mean, I know they tend to go after people that release movies before their release date. That's something that the FBI tends to deal with, as well as large piracy rings. But for this small-time stuff, they don't care about that, which is one of the reasons why I'm never the least bit concerned. But I don't I don't see why they're getting all up in arms about this, because, I mean, if, these pe- if the French people are worried about getting found out about sending copyrighted material or whatever... They're going to encrypt their BitTorrent traffic. That's not to say that they're going to start encrypting their instant messages and everything else. That's just saying that they're going to try and encrypt like their BitTorrent traffic or they're going to route it through a VPN or something like that so that they don't have to worry about getting a, a strike on them or whatever. Yet they, they seem to act like this is going to make everybody wisen up and use encryption on absolutely everything. Well, here's my guess. Uh, I mean, this is just a theory, but I'm guessing that encryption is still rare, generally speaking, uh, outside of browser traffic. And I think that basically they're using it as one of the flags of a possible of possible um, wrongdoing or possible threat. And with everyone moving into it because of the laws in France, that they can no longer use it as a flag, as in, hey, this is a potential problem, because there, because the noise, to, the signal to noise ratio ratio will be thrown way off. Um, so, you can't say, hey, that's a sophisticated user because they're using encryption for this. Um, you can't say that anymore if everyone's using encryption. So, I think that's probably part of the problem. But uh, I think. Talking to another company, I mean another country, and telling them this is a little overstepping their bounds. Yeah, I, I mean I can understand if they were if this was like Congress going to them and say, "Hey, don't do this," but just for like the FBI or whatever to go to them and say, "Hey, don't do this," that, that seems to be a little bit outside of their jurisdiction. Yeah, and and through like non diplomatic channels too, so that's why it seems exceedingly weird. Yeah, it's it's definitely kind of strange. But speaking of Hadapi, the French three strikes law, apparently there is a French ISP known as Free that is refusing to send out the um, strike notices to the users, which apparently means they don't get strikes. Yeah. They can take our internet, but they can't take our freedom. Yeah. Nice loophole. I really like how they uh, have read the law verbatim and said that, hey, it doesn't say that how we're supposed to handle the notices and give them to our, our users. So uh, they're using the small loophole to not administer uh, the, the, the warnings or the notices to their users. Yeah, apparently um, the way it works is there has to be, before any paper mail can be sent, there has to be an email sent. Well, I guess there's 
nothing that specifically says the email must be sent by the ISP. So they're just not sending the email, which means the paper mail doesn't get sent. So people never get notified that they've received a strike. Right. And without any notice, no legal action can be taken uh, upon them. So one has to precede the other, and uh, step one is kind of stuck in the queue. Yeah, so there, there's a bunch of different people up in arms in this. Of course, the government or whatever is none too happy about it, but the only real recourse they have is to go back and fix the law. And, of course, all the other ISPs aren't too happy about it because they're actually complying with the law because they don't want to have to worry about, what is that, 1,500-pound uh, or euro oh, fine yeah. per day per IP address or whatever. That well, that's for... That's for turning over the information about what customer maps to what IP address. Yeah. Well, they're worried about stuff like that, so they're complying with all this. So they're all upset because they think that free has a competitive advantage against them now because now they're going to get more customers because they're not handing out these notices that they're supposed to hand out. Yeah, hell yeah. I I know if I was a user, I was like, Hey, these people are actually fighting for me. They're fighting the, uh, against the system to make sure I'm protected. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna move over the free. I would definitely. Yeah. Plus, I just like the idea of having an ISP by the name of Free. Yeah. I wonder if they, how much they charge. <laughs> I don't know. I'm kind of curious about that myself. But yeah, uh, this is definitely kind of a funny little case. I'm kind of hoping that they actually have make an impact with this about maybe people wisening up and realizing how stupid this law is, or I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how long it takes them to try and change the law to make them comply or whatever. Right, and it took them, what, a couple tries to even get it passed. Yeah, I think uh, it's like so... two, or three, two or three real serious tries to finally get the three strikes stuff passed. Exactly, so if they're going to try to amend it because of this one prop, one, uh, one loophole that's found, uh, it'd be interesting if they'll have the votes. I mean, because at this point, uh, probably everyone on the internet in France is aware of the problem or the issue or the possible issue. So uh, I wonder if this has been their own way of, uh, uh, probably not on purpose, but get some advertising about what's going down. Because I'm sure everyone, once the law passed, was given a notice saying, hey, here are the new rules, and this is how it's going to work. And so when it goes back out for a vote, uh, they might not have the votes to get it passed. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's going to be interesting to watch. But speaking of anti-piracy stuff, back to the ACTA that we were talking about a little bit ago. Apparently the text of ACTA is more or less finalized. I do believe there are still some small wording differences, I guess, that they have to work out. But basically all of the super secret ACTA meetings are now over and all the major points have been hammered out and it's actually not as bad as it should have as everybody was fearing yeah especially with file sharing it's showing that uh there won't be any change to any laws really um so a lot of the the suggestions put in by the riaa have have been removed and have not been uh put into the final version yeah i kind of surprised by the fact that basically all of their suggestions are taken out and I haven't really read the um, final consolidated text 
which is about 24 pages long, and it is at the bottom of this particular story link in the show notes. I'll probably go through and read it either tonight or tomorrow. But basically all the stuff, like three strikes and everything, is gone. Yeah, and uh, we were going back, and we're, previously we were talking about the NSA and how they're curious about three strikes, which was uh, a form of that was enacted and then removed. I wonder if they had their hand in, in, in the treaty and making sure that did not get into the final version. Yeah, I've got a feeling that that's probably the case. But Yeah, national security trumps everything, especially now. Yeah, pretty much. So, Which is why I tend to be a little bit worried about the story we had last week about the FBI wanting uh, no encryption on anything. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, I'm kind of surprised. Even camcording in movie theaters is not going to be criminalized. Basically, from my understanding is, now the document just says that, well, all the governments should do what they can to try and fight piracy. What they do, how they do it, is all up to them. Yep. So, so in so. other words, we've had months and months of all these secret meetings to basically say, oh, hey, governments, you have your the same powers you've always had. Do something with it. Yeah, do your best. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know, or how much faith, I don't know how much faith I would have uh, that we would come to the same conclusion if those early drafts did not leak to the public. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to know what effect that had on the actual meetings and everything. But yeah, it's good to see it's pretty much been watered down now i really don't care about it too much although i like i said i'm still gonna have to go through and read through it because i guess there is some stuff as far as like um what's gonna happen as far as border searches and stuff like that so which apparently aren't as bad as they were expected to be but yeah i definitely want to go through and check all that out but yeah it's good to see that there's basically nothing to really worry about anymore. Yeah, it seems like cool heads and uh, one out at the end. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of ACTA, despite the fact that it's been watered down, apparently a Senator Wyden, which I'm not sure which uh, state he's from, has apparently asked the Congressional Research Service to determine whether ACTA impacts any U.S. laws. Yeah, uh, this goes into the whole awareness uh, of the of the treaty that wasn't there before. So um, it's interesting that uh, the senator is being pressured, obviously from his constituents, to uh, basically do a survey of the law and see if there's anything that needs to be changed if we enact it. Yeah, he he's worried about everything from copyright laws and patents to impending legislation and how it would affect that and how it would affect being able to the US to regulate copyright stuff in the future and everything apparently up and or well up until this point none of the US politicians have really cared basically they've received enough from the RIAA and MPA that they've just kind of shut up and sat there while this all goes on whereas was it last week Mexico voted to quit ACTA Europe has some real concerns about it, so they might be backing out. Basically, it could just be a treaty of us by the time this is all said and done. Yeah, 
uh, I think that's probably why a lot of stuff was removed from ACTA, just so they can try to help it along and get something passed, just for uh, to save save face, because uh, not a lot of people liked what was in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious to know what their um, investigate the Congressional Re- Research Service, what their investigation, their findings of their investigation are going to turn up. I'm kind of curious to know how long it's going to take for them to do it anyway, because you know, government they tend to drag their feet. Mm-hmm. But I'm kind of curious to see what they say as far as impact of other laws like the DMCA and whatever. Yeah, you know, I, from the previous story, I think we're we're fine. I think we're we're in the green here. And if if uh, the worst case or best case or whatever, if if there are impacts, uh, I wonder if there if there's even anything uh, that can be done to change it. Which and if it's something egregious, it's it's uh, Congress is the one that ratifies treaties. So. Mm-hmm. Um, if if there is something that they actually don't like in it, we we just don't have to sign the treaty as a country. Yeah. Well, hopefully that'll be the case, even if it is watered down. But speaking of the movie industry, apparently Warner Brothers is claiming that the annoying 28-day rental delay is actually helping them in terms of DVD sales. Yeah, which I don't think it's true, but... Um, I think DVD sales are up, like they said, what, 15% right now? Uh-huh. Um, but you have to realize that it correlates with the same time period of when uh, the summer blockbusters were hitting DVDs, uh, the, the shelves. for um, Movies, the beginning of the year, weren't that good. And DVD sales were some of... Is, is, just showed that, and uh, there were some really good movies that came out in the summer, and I think that's why DVD sales went up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't make any distinction as far as whether it was DVD sit, whether it was the types of movies that were sold, perhaps maybe cost of movies, anything like that. They're just wanting you to think that the 28-day rental delay is making this huge difference so that's why you have to suffer. Mm-hmm. Which is good. Which means they think it's working. Which means that hopefully Netflix is going to make more deals with other studios. And uh, this actually sounds like it could actually help streaming. Which is great. It's, uh, so it's a win-win situation. They get the numbers that they want and it makes uh, their executives feel better. And uh, us masses will get more streaming. Yeah, it's fine with me. I mean, I really, I don't know the last time I purchased a DVD. I mean, every once in a while I do purchase, like, seasons of TV shows and stuff. But I don't know as far as the last time I actually purchased a DVD movie, because I have Netflix and everything. So I really don't need to. Just if I want to watch a movie, I can either stream it or rent the DVD or whatever. So having extra movies streamed because of a 28 day delay of some movie I probably don't care about anyway. I'm fine with that. Yeah, me, I just set it and forget it. I put it in my queue. It shows up when it shows up. Mm-hmm. Because I want to yeah. watch everything in the queue anyway. It doesn't matter the order, really. Yeah, I've got so, so much stuff in my queue. I I think there's like over fi- like 50-some movies in my queue, and, I, and I've just been using the streaming stuff for a long time, so I don't even know the last time I sent a 
DVD back to him. I think I've had the same uh, pitch black DVD, or, well, it might be a Blu-ray movie, sitting here for at least six months. Which I suppose I should probably send that back if I'm not going to watch it. But but no hurry, and it's up to you. Uh, yeah. So this, this is ultimately going to lead to more choice, and... Um, it's it's going to move in the direction that everybody wants, which is pure digital downloads and streaming, and away from this physical media. Yeah. That's the way I'd like it to be. Although, at the same time, it is kind of nice to have something physical around if you happen to be without an internet connection. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, we're talking about movies, right? Okay. Yeah. That's, okay, all right, sorry. Yeah. Anyway... Um, speaking of streaming videos, apparently Google has filed a patent that proposes a $2 fee to skip commercials, or you can, that or you can take a 5 to 10 minute survey as, and give them information like your mailing address and stuff, so you can skip the commercials. Yeah. This is kind of reminds me of Hulu. Sometimes, uh, when you watch certain shows on Hulu, It'll prompt you at the beginning, say, hey, do you want to watch one long commercial or do you want to watch uh, the regular intervals of commercials with the small, shorter ones weaved inside the program? Um, I always choose the long option for, for those. Um, but this is the same thing. Uh, instead of a survey, though, it's a long commercial. So this could be very detrimental to other mediums, like Hulu, as I said before, of exploring other revenue streams. Um, but also, it could be one of those Google patents in which they patent it so nobody else can, so they can give it away freely. So we'll see how they use this, but um, it could also be very detrimental for, uh, let's say, Apple TV, depending on when they roll out their apps, which was talked about that there are going to be apps um, that never really materialized, um, their payment structure. It, it won't affect existing models, but it can prevent new ones. Yeah, this is... I'm hoping nothing ever comes to this. I mean, with like with Apple TV, all the TV shows that they were talking about or whatever on the with the new Apple TV are, what, 99 cents? So throw another $2 on that just so you can skip the commercials? Yeah, I can't say I care for that idea. I, I don't know. I, and I'm, I can't say I'm a big fan of the whole five or ten minute survey thing. I mean, if Google can get away with this, they can make a lot of money because the average um, media company like a TV channel or whatever, they're not making $2 per um, show that each particular customer watches. Yeah, that's they're, a lot of money. Yeah, they're making like, what, a penny or whatever, something like that, per person that watches. Or, well, I don't know if it's that. I, last I knew, I was they run on a CPM basis or whatever. But basically a couple of pennies per person. But if you can convince the people themselves to pay $2, then that's definitely one way to run off with a lot of money. Yeah, that's um, it's a good deal. But it's also sounds like it'll be an option so for the most part i'll choose the option which give me the commercials and not have me pay the two bucks yeah and i'll stick with the BitTorrent option where i get no commercials keep my two bucks and laugh at everybody else that wastes all their time watching commercials <laughs> which is 
that's my that's my primary reason for grabbing shows off a of BitTorrent and then watching them is because I don't want to have to I don't want to waste fifteen minutes out of every hour watching stupid commercials that I don't care about. Especially this time of year when eighty percent of the commercials are political commercials. Oh yeah, who the who the did what to what and how they're not representing you and yeah, uh, all the mud right now is just very very annoying. So I'm with you that on that. November yep. can't come soon enough to get those off the air. Yeah, it seems to be even worse this year as far as um, misconstruing stuff to make something looks completely the opposite. Like, one of the candidates around here apparently is in favor of the idea of, a, like, a 23% national sales tax or whatever. As to where, get rid of the IRS and everything. It's just, mm-hmm. there's a 23% sales tax on everything. Which is an idea I that I like, but the way they're, the commercials are making it sound, or from his opponent... They're making it sound like it's going to be a 23% tax on everything on top of all the taxes you pay now. Oh, yeah. It says, hey, they want to tax the heck out of you more than what you already pay. Yeah, that 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 is twisting it. Yeah, that that's what they're doing is they're just going through and saying, oh, hey, he wants to ramp up your taxes an extra 23%. It's like, no, actually, you'd probably be paying a whole lot less that way. But, yeah, it's... I hate the political commercials this time of year. Yeah, they're always... I, I know the, the reason for that, but they're always one-sided. So if they say, hey, this this candidate's for this, this is candidate's for this, these are the pros, these are the cons. Yeah, it never works out that way, unfortunately. Yeah, I have no faith in the political system anyway. If you want my ideas on politics and all that stuff, I can point you to some George Carlin clips on YouTube that do a nice job of summarizing it. That or you should listen to the No Agenda show. That either one of those would be sufficient. But anyway, speaking of things going over the tubes, apparently the internet traffic has grown 62% in 2010. Yeah, um, and it's growing, um, which especially, I mean, a lot of stuff is over the internet. Even businesses, uh, some software has grown, like software uh, as a service. Um, if you're talking about the iPad and devices dedicated just for surfing the web, or that's one of their main purposes. Uh, and we're talking about the advent of smartphones. If we just look at Android alone, it makes sense that the internet's going to grow. Yeah, especially with more people using um, streaming services thanks to Boxes like the Apple TV, the Roku, the PS3, the the Xbox 360, Netflix, Instant Streaming, you name it. Basically, and and this 62% is global. The numbers vary in different parts of the world. Some here in the U.S. and Canada, it's up only 54%. But in Europe, it's up 66%. Middle East, it's around 100%. India and South Asia, it's over 100%. So... The internet's growing in leaps and bounds. I'm kind of curious to know, for the past several years, there's been the argument that, oh, we're not running out of bandwidth or anything because there's still a ton of dark fiber and everything out there. And I'm kind of curious to know if if that's still the case when everything's growing as rapidly as it is. 
Um, that's a good question. I, I haven't seen anything stating that. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll run out of IP addresses before that, so it doesn't. Really, so that's the bandwidth is the least of our problems. Um, well, I think I heard it was. I think it's Google that I heard a couple of months ago is wanting to lay a new pipe, a new internet pipe. I think it was from uh, across the Atlantic. I believe is where they're wanting to put a new pipe. Oh, it's, either, nice. it's either across the Atlantic or across the Pacific, but. I, so, I'm guessing just by that fact that maybe we're starting to run low, at least as far as when it comes to the trans-oceanic pipeline or um, internet pipelines. Yeah, a country that needs more better pipes would be Australia and New Zealand. Uh, they're very constrained there. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, it's like sometimes, at least down in like the Australia area, it's like, Sometimes I hear like their speeds and stuff they get are in, are a whole lot better than what we have here, but in other times I hear their bandwidth caps are so low that it's kind of pointless. Yeah, which is essentially why I've never bothered to up uh, upgrade my internet speeds with Comcast, is because no matter what the speed, I still have a 250 gigabyte cap, so. I really have no need to go to a 50 or 100 megabit connection if I'm still going to be stuck at the same cap. Yeah, cap yeah. sucks. So you guys, you guys have to live, deal with it. Yeah, I'm kind of. I would be curious to know just how much the internet would grow by if we didn't have any caps at all. Well, I think caps are kind of like minute plans. They're going to mm-hmm. go go away pretty soon because of all the popularity. Of, of all and all the other options, especially when we're talking about 4G and how it's growing, and then uh, one of our story that's coming up about uh, the white space Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't remember if we covered it. I don't think we did. There was a story a week or two ago. I think it was Google that said mobile traffic is up like 50 percent or 100 percent or something like that in the past year. So, yeah, interesting statistics. There's certainly more of those in the show notes for those that want to check them out. But now on to a little bit of Windows Phone 7 news, starting with a little bit of a mix-up, supposedly, where I guess Microsoft was accused of saying that Angry Birds was going to be a part of the Windows Phone 7 apps at launch. Yeah, it was the the site that was uh, supposed to not be live, but it went live prematurely. And uh, I don't think the final version got the okay from everybody because uh, Angry Birds uh, responded on Twitter very angrily and said, we have not committed to anything, and Microsoft posted uh, their page early without our permission. So uh, that's that sounds like they they feel that Microsoft was trying to ride out on their coattails prematurely, uh, counting their uh, chickens before they're hatched, per se. Yeah, I... I don't know. I'm kind of curious to know if this was intentional or what. I mean, you got to assume that Angry Birds is going to be coming to the Windows Phone 7 platform. So I don't know if this was just a case of them kind of being one step ahead of where they should be or if they were just looking for a bunch of temporary 
logos to throw up there to give examples of what will likely be in the store or what? Well, well, it hasn't been a secret that Microsoft has been paying developers to port their apps to the 7 platform. My right. guess is that there was negotiations about exactly how much they would get paid to port it over to Windows Phone 7. Uh, but nego- negotiations haven't been finalized. That's my guess, is that they're still holding out for more money, and uh, and the, the more money just, or the, the contracts weren't finished up yet. Well, I'm not sure how much, at, from what I understand, that Microsoft's actually giving up front. I think it's more of a case of, we'll, we'll guarantee that you make X amount of dollars based on what you've made on other platforms. So, for example, Angry Birds is like the best-selling game on the iOS platform. So I think Microsoft has basically been trying to commit, saying, okay, we'll guarantee you some, I don't know if it's the same amount of profits or somewhere near there within a certain period of time. And if you don't reach that, we'll pay the difference. Yeah, and it's so, probably the particulars or something even custom about uh, how the app is updated or when uh, or you can't have uh, the Angry Birds release um, on the iPhone come out, you know, more levels or any updates or the second version uh, come out on Windows Phone or, or come out on, on uh, iOS before it comes out on Windows Phone or some sort of exclusive, like, uh, give us, you know, a three-week lead time or something. There could be, you know, several different parts of the negotiation that they're still hammering out, not just money, of course. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious to know really what the backstory is here. But anyway, speaking of apps on Windows Phone 7, apparently there's some question as to where there, how many apps there's actually going to be at launch for Windows Phone 7. Supposedly they're saying, well, there's going to be more than the iPad, which is around, which was, I believe, around 350 when it launched. But at the same time, uh, I think it was Engadget, I think, that noticed today that um, the Zoom software got an update to, I think it's like 4.2 or something like that, which, of course, as soon as I heard, I went and updated it myself. But I believe they counted and saw that there was only 86 apps in the marketplace. Yeah, and there's also probably a question about uh, what's in flight, meaning that there's some that's probably pending approval or something like that. Um, And uh, maybe some that are approved for batches, like through EA Sports or something like that. So, uh, or there could be companion games for the holidays because there is Xbox Live integration, and so they're waiting for the game to be launched before they launch the companion product to the store. Um, there's there's different 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 things, and I think the 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 honest answer is they don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that maybe out of these developer events, like I'm going to tomorrow. I think they're hoping to get kind of an idea of how many apps and stuff that they can expect people to kind of have out by launch or near launch or whatever. I know that uh, Gizmodo has an article up and uh, with all their Windows Phone 7 stuff today showing off some of the different apps that are 
I guess supposedly like must have kind of apps, which must have for a device that doesn't actually come out for another month. I think I find that kind of entertaining. But yeah. there's games like Bye Bye Brain, The Harvest, which is which I believe is the game that they showed off at the Mix conference. A game called Fruit Ninja. Apparently, it's a game that's also on the iPhone and iPad. Uh, Sims 3 by EA, of course. Three zombie games. Uh, there's going to be a Netflix app, a Slacker app, a AT&T U-verse mobile app, Twitter, of course. That sounds pretty slick, the um, U-verse app. Yeah, I haven't really had a chance to check it out. Apparently, you have full access to U-verse, all the U-verse TV content for $10 a month, and apparently it can manage your DVR. Sounds like a pretty nice little deal to me. That, right. and, that's, and that's even if you're not a U-verse customer. Yeah. So, yeah, that certainly sounds nice. And of course, you get your Twitter app, something called Go Voice, which I mean, I guess it's like a third-party enabler for Google Voice. Seems interesting. Apparently, it's going to run th- run you three bucks. And of course, there's going to be IMDb, which supposedly is really interesting. And then you get your eBay app and a Fandango app for those that like to buy their movie tickets through an app, which I have done. And it's kind of nice. But, yeah, yeah. Th- th- those and, are and probably those many, the many big apps anyway. No one has heard of, too. Um, yeah. But like we were talking about Angry Birds before, it's some of the, the unique and uh, unheard of developers that, that really, really knock it out of the park uh, and not the uh, names that we're, uh, that we're used to all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see just how many apps there's going to be because anymore it seems like it's the apps that make the platform. So, I mean, Windows Phone 7 looks very nice on its own. and it has a lot of great features and everything. But in the end, I think it's going to come down to what kind of apps you can get on it, which I think is a large reason why a lot of people are choosing between Android, iPhone, Blackberry, Nokia, and everything else out there. So that's definitely going to be a big issue for them, I think. Uh, Let's see, how are we doing on time? Eh, I guess we're doing okay. Uh, Next story. Apparently a professor and his students are bringing super Wi-Fi to the working class in Houston. Yeah, they say working class, but um, this, these are professors and students at Rice University, which is one of the most prestigious universities in the country. At least it was when I was, grew up. I'm from Houston originally. And uh, they're using some of their own software and to get the equipment online to try to use uh, the super Wi-Fi, which is uh, Wi-Fi in the white space that uh, TV channels uh, occupy. Yeah, this is kind of interesting. This is one of the things that has been talked about for years and years is using the white space in between TV channels for wireless internet um, transmissions. And a lot of TV um, uh, stations and stuff have always been concerned in the past saying, 
that they're worried that some of these internet transmissions are going to bleed through to the TV stations and everything. So this is kind of like the per- first, I guess, big real wor- real world test for demonstrating internet in the white spaces. Yeah, Microsoft and Google did it before, uh, but those were just tests, and this is actually uh, more of an implementation. Yeah, this is the first time that it's ever actually been done on a large scale, because apparently this guy and his team has received $1.8 million in grant money from the government to try and deploy this, and and at the same time, they're also kind of looking at possible standards for this white fi transmission or at least that's what uh, Microsoft research has long been calling this kind of technology um, and they're trying to figure out like well what kind of issues are you gonna run into as far as how many of these like little base stations these little transmission base stations that you need as far as being able to give everybody an, an adequate amount of bandwidth, good signal strength and stuff like that. Apparently they're getting a lot of complaints about signal strength with this test so far. Uh-huh. And they're also looking at other ideas as far as like saving power for like maybe late at night, like 2 in the morning or something like that, when nobody's going to be online. Can you shut off some of the base stations, still provide adequate coverage and bandwidth for the people that are on there, but just not have any of the ones that you don't necessarily need powered up at the time. Yeah. And uh, to also to talk about some of the advantages of this uh, new Wi-Fi, uh, since it's at a lower frequency, uh, instead of like the 5.4 gigahertz, it's more in the 500 to 700 megahertz, um, it'll go through walls, so um, you won't have some of the the problems with building and and uh, and repeaters so there'll be less repeaters because it'll be able to go through walls and buildings um, but it's also great that uh, it's also I didn't read it in the article but it's supposed to be backwards compatible with existing technologies yeah I'm definitely interested to see just how well this works because I think this is probably going to be the first possible real solution for some any kind of a nationwide free Wi-Fi initiative. Yeah, and also I'm wondering if this will help with, let's say, a clear mobile wireless or, or any 4G or WiMAX or, or uh, also talking about them, we were talking about the last mile problem. Uh, this could help with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye on this test now that I'm now that I know what's going on. I think there's a lot of potential that can come out of this and I'm kind of curious to I almost wish I was one of the students that was actually involved in this cuz something like this would be really cool to be involved in. Yeah, and next time I'm in Houston, I'm going to see you hopefully that I'll be able to check this out. Yeah, go just drive around and look for your, apparently they've got a 60-foot tower somewhere. Just go around and see if you can spot that. Yeah, maybe I can even take some pictures for uh, for the podcast. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. And speaking of which, did you see the um, video that's been going around the internet of the guys that climb up these ginormous um, radio towers or whatever that's like over a thousand some odd feet tall? Um, I've seen stories about it, but nothing like no viral videos working their way through the internets or anything. I'll have to try and dig up that video. I know I tweeted it at one point, but 
these guys just climbing up these towers that are well over a thousand foot tall and just watching the video makes you nervous because for most of it they're not really hooked on to anything it's just whenever they want to stop and rest they hook their little hooks onto one of the pieces of metal or whatever but they're essentially pretty much hanging by a thread and just a slight gust probably blow them off oh that's scary yeah, just watching the video is amazing. It, it would take nerves of steel to have a job like that. Right. But or you, or you have to get your... If you fall from that height, I mean, you're yeah. almost certainly dead. If not, you're really messed up. Yeah. Well, and with what they're climbing up, they have no room as far as like if they wanted to wear a parachute or anything... It's just a real narrow little thing that they're going up. So, yeah, if you fall, you're pretty much screwed. Although it'd be a nice, fun fall on the way down, though. But, um, <laughs> it's the, the fall doesn't kill you, it's the stopping. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, what can I say? I've always wanted to do some skydiving or some base jumping or something like that. So, to an extent, it kind of almost sounds a little on the fun side to me. I don't know. But I, I could never see myself doing something like that. But speaking of things that get tweeted apparently out of 1.2 billion twitter posts only about 71 percent are ignored yeah that's what the title says but i think that's a little uh, it's a little sensational uh, sensationalism yeah (laughs) because some tweets especially from services uh like i don't know uh people who use their rss stream some people don't actually want responses uh, like the Obama account, they don't really respond to their uh, tweets at all. Uh, so most of it is message dissemination and not necessarily uh, people are trying to have conversations. Conversations can get hard, are hard to follow and can get very noisy over Twitter. So this number actually really doesn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, as far as my usage of Twitter goes, this number is actually really high. This, they're saying that um, only about 6% of status updates ever get retweeted, while 23% get a reply. Well, usually the stuff that I post, whether it's various news links or just whatever thought happens to be running through my head that I'm pissed off about usually, um, almost I would say at least say 75% get at least a, either a retweet or an at reply, at least one. Mo- and do you do you comment back when people comment? Yeah, if, if they say something I do, if they just retweet it, usually I don't, sometimes I do. But yeah, if they, if they make any kind of a comment on it, then I always try and tweet back to them. That's good. That means you engage your audience and you encourage participation. Not everybody is as uh, nice or as aware of how to deal with their community as you are. Yeah, that's one of the things I've really worked on is replying to everybody. I mean, between my at PCNerd37 account and the at Global Geek News account, I've got about 7,000 followers. So I'm always trying to engage them as much as I can. And when I not in a spot where I'm engaging current followers, 
I do a number of searches on Twitter as for very usually various tech related terms that I think I might be able to get them to go to globalgeeknews.com, maybe subscribe to the podcast, whatever. And I'll just start replying to them about whatever it is they're tweeting about. So whether it's like, say, Windows Phone 7 or podcasts in general or whatever, I'll just start, just whatever these terms I'm searching for, I'll just start talking with these random people about it. And not all of them come back and follow me and not all not all of them respond to me. Maybe it's because I don't already follow them or whatever. But I'm always trying to engage people on Twitter, whether I know them or not. Right. And when they're saying that 71% are ignored, that doesn't mean that 71% aren't read, which is what's kind of implied, which is wrong. Yeah, see, that 71% not being read, I could kind of almost see that, because I've gotten to the point now where I've noticed that if I tweet a link multiple times... Almost each time I'll get like a same number of hits from different people. So a lot of times there seems to be where, especially people that are following a large number of people, they don't, they aren't always watching Twitter to see what happens to be coming across. So usually I try and if there's something really cool, I'll I'll try and reach tweet. I'll try and tweet it say like maybe like four different times during the day or something like that, just so I can cover people who might be checking their Twitter at one point in the day and not another point in the day or whatever. So I, I've got a, I have this thought that there's a lot of people that, especially those that follow a lot of people, don't get a chance to check out everything that's tweeted. Yeah. I think I saw something recently that said that the average person only f- follows like 300 people or has 300 and some odd followers or whatever. Oh, well, there's one. There's a theory that you can only um, mentally have 150 friends that you can actively keep up with. Anything more than that, then it it becomes harder. Yeah, and I, it seems like ever since the um, like Facebook and stuff came out, I think that number has actually been raised to about 200, I believe. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I don't know. I I it used to be where I would go through Twitter like every morning or whatever. I'd wake up and I. would just go down and see every single tweet that was tweeted during the night. This, of course, was more when I active, when I wasn't following everybody. This is pretty much when I was paying attention to about three or four hundred people, and and that's kind of still what I do. I follow everybody that follows me, but I still have groups that are set up for like three or four hundred people that I actively pay attention to. I still don't go through and look at everything like from that was tweeted like during the night or whatever. But, yeah, th- there's a lot that I miss. Yeah, so, it's, uh, so it, I used to do the, I, I think everyone goes through that phase, and you kind of graduate from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you're like me and you're following 7,000 people, yeah, you kind of have to get out of that phase really quickly. Yeah. But, Anyway, I do believe that would be our last story, and we are about out of time. So don't forget, everybody, you can check out all of these stories in the show notes at globalgeeknews.com. Of course, there are always details that we don't get time to cover, so make sure to check all those out. Don't forget to check out the Tips of the Week posts. Those go up every Friday afternoon. And, of course, these shows go up every Tuesday morning at about... mm, 
Uh, I believe it's at 8 a.m. Pacific. And usually, not always, but usually, if you actually subscribe to the RSS feed, you get the. A lot of times, you'll get the show on late Monday night instead of at the specific time on Tuesday morning. You don't have show notes going up with it, but you can get the show beforehand. So that's always kind of one benefit of subscribing, which, of course, you can do on the website. We've got the RSS feeds plastered all over the show notes. If you want to subscribe on iTunes, we're on there. You want to subscribe on the Zoom Marketplace, we're on there, which for all those new Windows Phone or people that will be Windows Phone users, you can subscribe to us on the Zoom Marketplace to get us right on your Windows Phone. And I know we're on all kinds of other different podcatchers and everything else. So there are definitely benefits to subscribing, so I recommend doing that. And don't forget to tell everybody you know, friends, family, whoever, to subscribe as well. Or at least to check out the website once or twice a week, at least. And to follow us on Twitter, I am at PCNerd37, as well as at Global Geek News. Basically, everything's the, the same on both, except if you want a little bit more of me uncensored, you follow at PCNerd37 as well. But if you're mainly looking for tech news and stuff, at Global Geek News is the account to follow. And don't forget you can follow Wesley, who's at Wesley83. He's always tweeting some really cool links. <laughs> or going off on a tirade about disturbing trends. Yeah, I, I noticed that too. There, there was one in there that I, I saw that went to... Facebook, otherwise I probably wouldn't have seen the tweet um, that kind of disturbed me because I think I fell underneath that category. I don't remember <laughs> which uh, one that was. I probably better look that up. But Well, do you go hiking on enemies' borders or unfriendly to our country? Or do no. you have a deep V-neck t-shirt and show off your chest hair? No, and it wasn't the uh, cut-off skinny jean shorts. Yeah. Um... Let's see. Oh, typing uh, during a podcast, probably. Yeah, that that would be the one. <laughs> I, I've kind of, I've been guilty of that a couple of times. Usually, it's just because I need to Google something that we're talking about. But um, yeah, that was that was the only one I took issue with. <laughs> but uh, anyway, Wesley, of course, always tweets all kinds of really cool stuff. So check him out at Wesley eighty three. And don't forget, you want to support the show, you can throw us, if you don't, some, like a $5 a month donation, throw us any amount you want. Or, of course, you can buy something from the um, Global Geek News online store. T-shirts, hats, um, pins, bumper stickers, uh, beer steins, you name it. There's all kinds of stuff in there. Make sure to check that out. I don't know, I've been thinking about maybe giving away some T-shirts, so. But anybody who donates... More than a hundred bucks of the show gets a free T-shirt anyway, so it's just a thought. But anyway, I guess that is it for this week's show, and we will see you guys next week. Later. Later. <laughs>